Welcome to Real Clear Politics' latest podcast, The First 100 Days. I'm David Byler, and I'll be your host as we examine President Trump's first 100 days in office. In our second episode, Real Clear Markets editor John Tamney talks to Steve Forbes about the economy and fiscal policy under the new presidency. And it's a major thrill for me today to be talking to Steve Forbes, uh, the editor-in-chief of Forbes Media. Uh, We're here to talk about the presidential elections, uh, the election of Donald Trump, and what that means for the U.S. economy. Um, In introducing Steve, I'd like to bring up something that's very important because I think it's fair to say that he's one of the more influential people in modern times when it comes to truly changing Uh, the economic debate. Uh, Too often we forget, going back to the 1970s, that if you were tax cuts back, for tax cuts back then, you were an oddball. Uh, Particularly if you were an economist, you were an outcast. No less than Alan Greenspan said about Arthur Laffer and his idea to, to reduce taxes that, quote, I don't know anyone who seriously believes his argument. And even if you go to the 1980s, Ronald Reagan was one of the few political personages out there who was openly for tax cuts. It was still something that wasn't quite taken seriously by either political party. And it really only became the norm among national political candidates after 1996. Uh, That's when uh, Steve ran for president, and while he unfortunately did not get the nomination, uh, he forever changed the tax debate among Republicans. Uh, Nowadays, it's the price of entry for a successful Republican candidate to talk up a very serious uh, tax tax cut proposal. Uh, Steve introduced to a nation that wanted it a flat tax, and more and more today we're hearing from politicians, particularly on the Republican side, about the good that would come from a flat tax. So it's a major thrill to have Steve here today. Steve, thanks for being here. Good to be with you, John, and thank you very much for that uh, gracious introduction. Yes. But it is amazing how uh, long it takes some people to learn that uh, when you reduce burdens on people, people can do more, have the opportunity to do more positive things. Without question. And thinking about that, I w- let's get right to the, to, the, to the big question right now. What do, you, what do you think of Donald Trump's initial tax cut proposal? Uh, what, what are, what are the, the good and bad of it? Well, Reducing tax rates always a good thing uh, on the individual side. I hope they are more aggressive when they make a formal proposal on the individual side and cutting rates across the board and uh, starting to simplify the code. And one of the ways they could uh, consider being very aggressive in cutting rates is uh, instead of trying to tackle individual deductions, which just gets you political trench warfare, you do what they've started to do years ago with mortgages, and you just put limits on deductions. So uh, I'd take a huge, uh, I'd take a cap on deductions if I could uh, get a far lower rate and just make make my life simpler and filing a return. On the corporate side, uh, we all know that ultimately taxes are paid by the customer. If a company doesn't get money from the customer. Uh, then they don't get to pay. They get the resources to pay the taxes. So cutting the rate from 35 to 15, all to the good. Expensing, fine. Uh, and uh, getting rid of the death tax, that would be a splendid thing. It doesn't raise much money, but it's a huge diversion of brain power and capital. Very, very destructive. Real, 
sort of Damocles hanging over a lot of businesses, trying to figure out how you cope with that. So those are all the good. Those are those are good things. And uh, but what is troublesome is this so-called border adjustment tax, the bat. But this bat is rabbit. It's got rabies. And uh, what the Republicans are proposing, in effect, is a 20% sales tax on imports and tax subsidies for exports. So Boeing, for example, sells those $16 billion of ADR. Air- they're selling ADR airplanes to Iran uh, for $16 billion. <clears throat> that $16 billion of revenue would be free. So with Boeing... Uh- Basically, its exports wouldn't be taxed, but, but the consumers in the U.S. would face a very big tax on any, anything that they bring into the country. That's right. So the Republicans have, have compounded the felony. First, they're putting a tax on American consumers, and then they're uh, giving subsidies to uh, foreign consumers. So in that Boeing example, $16 billion of aircraft, 80 aircraft that Boeing is selling to the Iranian mullahs, uh, Boeing will pay no tax on that $16 billion. It won't count in terms of calculations of uh, taxation. Uh, meanwhile, Americans are going to pay $0.30 cents or more for a gallon of gasoline, higher prices for everything else. And Republicans say, well, other countries do it. Well, that doesn't mean we should do it. Look at Europe's growth rates. We want that for America. And by the way, just one aside on that, European growth rates were quite comparable to those of the United States, even after they recovered from the war, right through the late 1960s. Then when they put on these value-added taxes, which were hidden taxes, government spending became far higher proportionally than that of the United States, and their growth rates became less. I think there's a real connection. Yeah, it's it's fairly obvious, and, it, and it's interesting here. You're you're talking about this putting this big, or the Republicans are talking about putting this big price on imports, based on this idea that that will goose exports. But the basic truth that you've hit on for a long time is that trade generally balances. If we're not importing, good luck exporting. There's got to be, trade is about products for products, and somehow Republicans think they can engineer something that would actually be impoverishing in the first place, us just selling things and getting nothing in return. Yes, and that gets the old mercantilist idea that if you sell something, you are getting rich and impoverishing your neighbor. If you buy something from your neighbor, uh, you're impoverishing yourself and strengthening your neighbor. Adam Smith, 240 years ago, made the point that uh, in trade, everyone gets uh, something from the deal, uh, the buyer and the seller. And so uh, it's not a zero-sum game. It's the way you uh, make progress is precisely uh, constantly uh, producing things, exchanging things. This is one of the problems on the whole theory of money, which we really won't have time to get into. But uh, money it makes buying and selling much easier. It's like a coat check at a restaurant or buying a ticket to an event. The ticket in and of itself is worthless, but it's a claim on a real product. Uh, but with money, people get, uh, some of these economists get so confused, they don't realize money makes exchanging products for products, services for services infinitely easier unless you decide what you get in return instead of having to accept a dozen eggs when you wanted a, you know, a new belt or a new shoe. 
or a new pair of socks, a new pair of shoes, and instead of having uh, what they used to call coincidence of wants and barter. So uh, it's uh, producing to uh, consume, and whether it's buying a share of stock or uh, buying a, a, a new uh, necktie, whatever it is you want to buy, you, uh, you're, you're doing this constant exchanging. And it allows for this multiplicity of products, variations of products, investments. And uh, one little aside on that, you know the story of Sir John Copperthwaite, who was governor of Hong Kong yes. decades ago when it was uh, still a British colony. And Copperthwaite banned the calculation of trade statistics because he says it's just going to lead to mischief. It's an accounting artifact, as Bob Bartley taught us. So very right. It, it, the idea that you'd calculate what is so obvious, I think what people too often forget is that when you get up and go to work every day, that's the signal that you want to import. It could be from across the street. It can be, be from around the world. The beauty of global trade is you've got the world competing to serve your needs. Why the Republicans would move in this direction is scary. The other thing that concerns me goes back to a point that um, our mutual friend Rob Arnott has recently made Presidents generally do the most, the vast majority of their legislation occurs within the first 100 days. After that, if there's, even if there's a second term, the amount of things gotten done is shrunken substantially and it gets to the timing of these tax cuts. We're seeing a lot of people whom we like talk about how the Republicans should lead with a business tax cut and then go to the income tax uh, later in the summer, maybe as late as August, that kind of scares me. Uh, what are your thoughts there? Well, I think uh, just but just take the politics. Doing a business tax cut before an individual tax cut is just going to, I can see the Democrat ads already in terms of uh, helping uh, business ahead of uh, people. You can see the demagoguery there already. So they should do both at the same time. Uh, they don't have to be in the same piece of legislation, but you can have two different pieces of legislation and uh, track them uh, in parallel. And uh, one may pass one week, and a week later you pass the other one. But they should be done, and they should be bold. If there are problems, you can take care of the problems later. But you got to get a huge tax cut, huge cut in tax rates, some simplification, and make it retroactive to January 1st, even though the green eye shade people and the people at the Congressional Budget Office will uh, blanch. You'll have to have smelling salts to, you know, get them up from their faints. But uh, it would start to really get the economy moving. But if you don't get this economy visibly moving, then you're not going to have the political capital to do things down the road. And even in the case of Ronald Reagan, who had a rocky second term, look what still got done. They had a vast simplification of the tax code in 1986. This is after the 81 Tax Act. Got the top rate down from 50% to 28. They raised the capital gains, but everyone understood that was a supposed to be a temporary thing. That's why, again, you never raise a tax if you can avoid it. And uh, they got uh, a lot of uh, useless tax shelters thrown out. They got a free trade agreement with Canada. You know, Canada always thought the U.S. was going to take over Canada if they had free trade. Well, they discovered, the Canadians discovered what the Swiss discovered long before, and other countries <laughs> like Norway have discovered you can be small relative to the 
United States or other big countries and do extremely well economically. So uh, even in the second term, because of the capital he got from the prosperity of the first term, even in the second term, some good things got done. So the key thing for uh, the Trump administration is go for a huge tax cut at the beginning. I'm delighted they're serious on regulations. Those are a form of taxation. They do the, those dereg deregulations systematically combined with a massive tax cut. By golly, it pays off. And the thing to keep in mind about reducing tax rates is it's a twofer. One, you get something immediately. You keep more of what you earn. But also, by making it uh, less burdensome uh, to uh, take risks, and help, it helps create capital. You get more investment, so you get... Uh, uh, new facilities, new products, new services coming down the road. It's sort of the gift that keeps on giving. It's not just a one-shot. It's one that goes on for years and years. Yeah, no, I think it's what you're hitting on is so important is that you've got to let people feel the effects. You've got to let them own it right away. And so the idea of leading with income tax and, and cuts and combining it with the corporate is everyone's going to feel it instantaneously. That's going to be good and then, as you say, the investment that will take place going forward is going to make what's great even greater, as you put it, the gift that keeps on giving. I want to touch on, on health care and also Steven Mnuchin before I, uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Now, thinking about health care, where in this 100-day concept, where is the timing on that? Uh, there's talk of repealing the misnamed Affordable Care Act. Where, what do you think is the best way politically to do that? Well, what the, the impression that's being given now is that uh, nobody knows really what to do other than mouth the phrase, repeal Obamacare. And uh, actually, there's some uh, real proposals out there. There's a committee in the House of Representatives among Republicans, I think they call themselves the Study Committee, has a 186-page bill, including uh, money for high for uh, high-risk uh, insurance pools for people who can't get regular insurance. So there are plenty of ideas out there on how to move ahead and not throw people on the streets. And uh, so even if uh, they want to shy away from that, get rid of the uh, individual mandate, uh, even though it's been sort of de facto anyway, just get rid of it so you don't have to pay a $2,000 fine. Uh, get rid of the employer mandate. So if you uh, have a worker, uh, James works uh, 32 hours instead of 29. You don't have to worry, oh, my God, my expenses are going to soar. Or if you hire an extra person, oh, I'm going above 50 effective employees. I'm, I've got a new expense I've got to take care of. Uh, get rid of that. And also allow people to buy the insurance they want. Uh, you and I don't need, or I certainly don't need, <laughs> and I don't think you do either, on an individual basis, uh, pregnancy services. Um, but we have to buy it. <laughs> so uh, let people choose what they want. And the other thing they should keep in mind, the Republicans, especially when they start tackling the budget, don't tackle Medicaid and Medicare head on. That is a loser. People fear you're going to take something away. Create an environment where you get entrepreneurship and health care. You get less, you get to what free markets always do more for more for less and eventually people will say why are we stuck in Medicare why can't we go and get this other good stuff out there and one little example of it you've heard of it 
this hospital in Oklahoma, the General Surgery Center Hospital yes. of Oklahoma. They don't have insurance. Uh, they just provide the basic surgery, excellent surgeons. They post their prices on everything. No, uh, no, no slights of hand where you, you get to many cases today, you leave the hospital. Three years later, you're still getting indecipherable bills for Lord knows what. So it's all up front. Their prices are low. The quality is high to the point where the state of Oklahoma is sending uh, state employees there because it's such a good bargain. Yeah, you hit on this years ago in a speech. I remember you talked about over in India as another example that they are training people to give cataract surgery. These weren't doctors, but they were doing an excellent job of it and doing it very cheaply. Obviously, the both of us saw recently that there is a heart surgery now in India that's peerless that costs $1,800. I think it speaks to your point. This is about freedom. If we just free people up to buy as they choose to be healthcare consumers, markets are starting to solve these problems of, in, of expensive healthcare in the first place. We've just got to let people alone. Yes, and uh, one other thing about markets that gets not sufficient attention is that it's a great information conveyor. Uh, you, you, they, they'll try to give you information to show you why you should go to use a particular service or go to a particular facility. And so you start then online, especially in this high-tech year, it's so much easier to be able to compare. And uh, you may make a decision, uh, given my particular needs, I'm going to pay more for this because uh, I'm not like uh, most people and I need this. You'll be able to make an informed decision or know who to go to to get an informed piece of information. Yep, it's, it's all so basic on this one, and I think you're right on the politics. How dangerous to fight yesterday's battles. Love or hate Medicare, the c programs like that are priced. Um, it's just going to distract people. The focus should be on just giving people the freedom to choose, and I think you solve a lot of this. On, on, that, on that one, uh, even though he's criticized for being a demagogue by especially House Republicans, uh, Trump was right. Leave it alone. Mm -hmm. Leave Medicare alone. <laughs> Absolutely. I 100% I, I agree. They've got to stop living in the past. They're not going to end those programs. They're there. Let's move on to other ways so that other people have a reason to not go get into those programs at all. And that's what market forces will do. Um, what about... Steve Mnuchin, I don't know what to think. Obviously, you and I focus a lot on the dollar. You taught me more about monetary policy than everyone else. And my question is, what's your sense there? Can you tell me what you think, where, where we're going with that? Is he a Goldman Sachs guy in the Robert Rubin way of looking at the world, or is he a Henry Paulson uh, uh, Treasury Secretary? Uh, the success, I think, of, of Donald Trump's pre uh, presidency will hinge on the health of the dollar. Where are we there? Uh, the answer is we don't know. And uh, that's why I wish we would get this uh, tax business out of the way, because uh, then, uh, then uh, people can start to really focus on uh, what should be done in monetary policy. Uh, even short term, having the Federal Reserve start to run down their bloated portfolio, which was in effect seizing trillions of dollars of assets from uh, the American and global economy, uh, stop that process, let borrowers and lenders 
determine the price uh, they're going to transact the renting of money and the basic things like that. But uh, in terms of Mnuchin, we don't know. And the fact that we don't know, even if he's had confirmation hearings, tells you something. But uh, this is where I hope uh, somebody like uh, David Malpas can go into uh, government. He understands mechanically where the Fed has gone correctly wrong and messing up the credit markets. Uh, Trump has made indications uh, in the past that he doesn't think the dollar should be treated like confetti, and that sometimes he sounds like he might. But uh, so, so they, they, the, the key thing to keep in mind is it's not cast in concrete yet. And uh, that's why I'm a little bit hopeful that to get the tax, get a good tax bill, then they'll be of a mind to uh, start focusing on, okay, what do we do about money? Why do we have five and a half trillion dollars of volume of currency trading each day? Ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, it's all very basic. Uh, lead with the tax cuts, focus on the dollar, and just give people freedom to choose in the healthcare market. And uh, Trump could have a great presidency. Uh, obviously, we've both got our fingers crossed. Thank you very much, Steve, for taking the time to do this today. Um, I, I, it really is going to be a great listen for our, for our readers, and uh, we hope you'll come back again. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Please leave any feedback and comments at realclearpolitics.com.